choir is always so beautiful for us and cheering. When I shared with the children about uh, the Word of God, I, I brought with me one other object for me. Uh, this is a Bible I received from my church when I was entering the third grade. They did that. Uh, now we do it for the second grade. They seem to have gotten smarter quicker. Did you get that out? They, they got ahead of us. Uh, and it's a beginning. We tell them that it's a way you learn about God through it. And it is a, an opportunity to learn all of your life. Then we hand it to them and we try over the time they grow up as children and youth uh, to teach them how to read it and understand it. And I guess we're still doing it as adults, right? We're still trying to read it and understand it. And that's important for us. For the story today uh, tells us about two people. Um, one is, a, is Lazarus, who is a poor man, and then also a rich man who remains unnamed. How when the rich man uh, ends up being uh, set aside to that place of judgment, uh, the, uh, he wants relief. And ask Abraham to have Lazarus, the poor man, to come and just dip his hand in water and relieve the anguish that is his. And it can't be done. Then comes the discussion of Scripture, which is the point in the story. Because while this man is over, uh, missed being with Abraham, missed that blessing because he did not respond to the uh, daily need of one like Lazarus sitting at his doorstep, but instead consumed everything sumptuously. He was rich and wealthy and never paid attention to one like Lazarus. Now, first of all, we confess that it's easy in our culture, uh, in our speedy pace of it, to miss many people around us and what they're doing. We cannot notice. And yet often without paying attention, they are there. And he's giving us an accountability. He's not asking uh, this rich man, you know, what his belief was. He's not asking what he did in his religion, uh, religious practices. He simply says there was the opportunity for you who had much to share and you did not do it. Then when uh, that's through, he says, well, at least send Lazarus to my brothers. I have five of them. That's a lot. I want you to make sure they end up at a different place from where I am. And then when Abraham says, they have Moses and the prophets. But no, I want you to understand, Abraham, uh, that's not enough. We have the Bible in our household. It's on the coffee table. We each have a copy in our room. The Bible today is often electronic in form. You may have it on your computer every computer you have, uh, on your cell phones, if they are smart enough, and you may have it on a Kindle, a Nook, or any of those other tablet forms. We have plenty of copies. The question becomes, of course, how do we make use of it? Do we let it become something that brings about a change in us so that God can use us? He lets us know that there is an opportunity for that to be a strong resource. But the rich man didn't understand it that way. He said, no, you need to send Lazarus. If someone comes back from the dead, that'll be enough to convince them. You know, in our culture, we 
think the one way you get people's attention is to shock them, to make something so dramatic they'll have to believe, they'll have to change their ways. And that's what this rich man thought. I remember being in driver's ed many years ago, and part of that driver's ed course near the end of it is they showed you a, a film, and that film had pictures of the worst possible car accidents you can imagine. I mean, the people were still there, the, the death, the carnage of it, and it could, could make you almost feel sick to watch it. The idea was, if you would make these brand new drivers afraid, they'll drive better. I'm not real sure that worked, okay? And, but I understand why they tried it. And Lazarus believed, we just got to make them know, if you just make it Make them see what's wrong, then they'll do better. You just have to make it terrifying enough, and they'll come back. He said, no, you don't have to do that. All you have to do is have what Moses and the prophets, we would say today, the Bible speaks clear enough. Because it says to us, in it is the word that's necessary for our salvation. And it contains the promises of God, the way that God loves us. It's enough there that we can learn what he's like and follow him. It might not surprise you that this particular story is found in very similar forms in about six other cultures or um, groups around the area that day. It seems that uh, it's common across those cultures to know that, that there are wealthy people living next to poor people, and they're trying to figure out how that ought to work and to see the cultural stresses that come with the practice. And in hours, you find the scripture has an answer. How are you supposed to live? What do you learn? How do we get your attention? And the Bible becomes that form. I, re, I want you to think for a minute with me, if you will. Can you remember the most influential person in your life when you were growing up, excluding your parents or your grandparents? And those are obviously going to be big movement. Who was it for you? And I'll tell you at least one of mine. One of mine was Nathan Harden, and he was uh, my Sunday school teacher during junior high and high school. There were probably on an average about 13 to 15 youth that would be present in Sunday school. We really liked Nathan. He was a, a good teacher, always interesting. But his method was this way. Method, he would teach from the Bible, scriptures, and he would always make an acrostic in his teaching method. And he had a, a big piece of poster paper on the wall. He would write that down, you know, and then the next week he'd add another one and it looked like a a a word puzzle when he got through each week building on the next week reminding you what came last week and we learned the scripture through his teaching and I believe he was one of the most influential people to me aside from my parents and others in my family because Somewhere in there, he introduced me to what God was doing. But you know, we, we look at the Bible at times, we maybe have read through it, we kind of understood it, and we lay it aside for a while, and we come back intermittently again to it, and we wonder how can we get more. Because at times, uh, the Bible is used in some of the strangest ways. It really is. Uh, in fact, it was used once by a government official giving a crop report. If you can imagine that, giving a crop report. 
In it, he's talking to a, a group of farmers. They are larger farmers. He's telling them that the projection this year, the crop is really going to be down in size. And he tells them it really is to your advantage. You're, you're the big farmer. You know, you're going to weather this. It'll get some of your competition out of the way. Those new people out there that are in it, they're not going to make it. You're the ones that are going to be better off next year when there is a good crop. And some of those same farmers talked to this agent and said, you know, you don't understand. You see, because some of those new farmers are our friends. Some of them we go to church with. Some of them are our own children. And then he pulled out the Bible on them. And this government official said, you know, in the Bible it says that them that have the most, more shall be given. That those with little, even that shall be taken away. That's kind of a strange use of the Bible, isn't it? And he just pulled it right out there, right where he wanted it. Had this idea the way it should work. It was a group that met, they were a, a prayer group. Only different from what you may think of. I think of prayer groups, people meet to pray. That sounds pretty normal, doesn't it? This particular group, though, when they met, they liked to talk about answered prayers. They simply sat down and listed the prayers they have been answered that they knew about it. When we talk about, you know, uh, I was praying for a job. I was looking for it, and I got the job. Another person is praying, I was, there's a new car that I've been looking at and I wanted to get and I prayed for it and I now have my new car. One said, I wanted a date with Fred and I got a date with Fred, whoever Fred was. But he's just beginning to list them and a visitor to the group came and said, is, is that all you do? You just sit down and, and talk about all the things you got? And the guy said, well, it's in the Bible. Jesus said, ask and you'll receive. See, people... Take the Bible sometimes, just kind of use it the way they want. And we begin to think, hmm, is there more power in it than that? Isn't there something there that we need? Doesn't it teach something more than that? Isn't it better? Maybe you watch in football season, and I see it more in the, uh, not in the college, but in pro games, where there'll be a, a man in the end zone, Maybe you've seen him. He has this big, giant, multicolored hairdo. You seen it? Blue and red hairdo. And he's holding up a sign. What's on the sign? John 3.16. I mean, we, we take the Bible and just put it in different places, and it's kind of odd the way we do it. But what can it do? How can we want that book that is so filled with power? So much so that Abraham said, even if you were to send a man back from the dead... They wouldn't believe. You need this. The Word of God teaches us. Because what it does is it paints the picture, helps us to see that the, the God that we want to meet is also coming to meet us. That He is not sitting on the sideline just waiting till we stumble or fall or what goes wrong, but He is there waiting for us meeting us along the way. So he gives us the scripture. And the scripture is powerful enough to make a difference in our lives. It's something that we can have not just around us, but we want to have in us. We don't simply want those copies on the coffee table or even have it in our phone, but not read it. The Holy Spirit is one who brings to our remembrance the things that, that Jesus has told us and and in doing that, he's saying when we plant that word in us, when we remember the scriptures, we learn them, then 
he pulls them out as a resource for us. And we find hope. If we live within the pages of the Bible, if we live out what it says, several things can happen. First of all, I promise you that, that you will find more compassion in your own life. You'll find it far easier to open your wallet and your time and give to someone in need if you pay attention to what it says, if you live into that word. And if you live into the word, you'll find a razor's edge to the misdeeds that we do. They will not go unnoticed. When we fail to follow God's plan and desire for us, we will notice that if we learn to live within the scriptures. Also, you and I may never be able to eat a full meal in the face of someone who is hungry. Not if we live in the scriptures. They teach us a new way of life. They make of us a different kind of people, providing a new kind of influence on the world around us. But how do we learn them? Of course, there are all kinds of ways, and I have one slide at the end I want to share with you, and it's simply uh, a title to a handout that's at each door that I invite you to pick up, A to Z in Bible verses. And this idea was I picked up from someone who told me is what you can do teaching children or teaching yourself to simply begin to learn a verse of Bible for every letter of the alphabet. For instance, what you might learn for A is all we like sheep have gone astray. B, be kind to one another. C, children, obey your parents. Well, this is the right thing to do. D, don't fret or worry. It only leads to harm, and it keeps going. I like Z, Zacchaeus, you come down from going to your house today. What if we plant those in our heart? We learn those. We memorize. They don't have to be long and complicated, but they have to point to what God is doing. And we live into those. The Spirit pulls them back into our memory. They become a source for our heart. And they're there. That's what the Scriptures do. It is a sword. It is living and active. Sharper than any two-edged sword. It may even be sharper than the the scalpel a surgeon will use because it can get between the heart and the life. It can help us to feel again, to heal again. It reminds us we need what it offers. I could have just started out the sermon by saying, you all have Bibles, pull it out and read it. You could say that. But what does it make for us to want to do it? What gets us to pick it up? When no one else is watching, but of a yearning of our own. If you live within its pages, if you'll find that it comes to life in you, you'll find the strength to serve, to follow, and to be the things that God designs of us. Would you pray with me? Our Father, we thank you for the scriptures. We thank you that many people over time have helped translate it into our language and often into a newer language so we understand it better. We thank you that some people have taught us along in our lives, perhaps our parents and teachers in Sunday school, maybe some in our family, in our community. 
We thank you, Lord, that it speaks to life wherever we are, no matter our age. We thank you, Lord, that if we open it and read, it is your spirit that helps us understand. And we thank you, Lord, that as we do that, you're calling us to live out what it says. Help us, Father, to live with courage, to believe that sword that you've given us through the scriptures is exactly what we need to be faithful to you, to love each other, and to draw closer in every way to your kingdom. For this we pray in the name of Christ. Amen.